1: From MPB Think Radio, this is Now You're Talking. It's a show about the most interesting people and stories of Mississippi. Today, our guest is none other than the daughter-in-law of civil rights activist James Howard Meredith. Kara Meredith will be here. Uh, we'll spend time getting to know Kara and I'll talk about her new memoir, The Color of Love, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. Plus, Michelle and I will talk about the latest headlines in the weekend roundup. And if you'd like to be part of the show, well, give us a call. 877-MPB-RING. That's 877 672 Four six four, or you email me at marshall at mpbonline.org. Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
0: can't
2: get to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio.
0: You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio.
1: This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Your host, Marshall Ramsey. Happy Monday, the day after the Super Bowl. Hope everybody is uh, feeling fresh and feeling good. That's why I just, why do they have it on Sunday? You know what? They need to declare the Monday after the Super Bowl to be a national holiday. Now, I do understand that many of you did not watch the Super Bowl. And we'll touch on this in just a few minutes because, of course, the Saints weren't in the Super Bowl. And so you went down to Bourbon Street and you partied. So once again, your head probably hurts today. So anyway, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have a really good show. Of course, um, oh, I'm just excited. Kara Meredith is going to be in the house She's the daughter in law of James Meredith, which we've actually interviewed on the show. James Meredith, of course, is a civil rights, I guess, legend, mm-hmm. although he would probably scoff it if I even brought that up. You know, he's kind of an interesting guy in his own right, <laughs> needless to say. Very, very philosophical and a very, that was a, just a fascinating interview when I interviewed him. But Karen's going to be great, though, because she's got a fantastic new book. It's called The Color of Life. It's a journey toward love and racial justice. Um, you know, it's probably a conversation we probably ought to be having these days because there's a lot of people that are talking past each other and a lot of things going on in the news so look forward to her being in as well uh, boy michelle's in this of course pushing driving the bus today and <laughs> jumping in I, I, number one, before we get going, because we have a lot to talk about in this time, uh, I want to give a shout-out to, my, of course, my new employers, Mississippi Today. That's my day job. They have a brand-new look on their website, MississippiToday.org, and I'm very, very proud of the team. They worked really hard. I mean, the site looks great. Uh, of course, if you like my cartoons, that's where you got to go now. So that's where you can go check them out. Um, did have a viral cartoon over the weekend, though. I was, yeah. you know, it's funny when um, cartoons become viral. Then you start hearing from people around the country mm-hmm. that you've never heard from, or maybe people that you knew thirty years ago. But I did one. I had a, a very angry-looking minister standing outside oh, yeah, of the church that <laughs> uh, said, "You know, basically uh, the the gist of it was, you know, sinners belong here, the saints belong in the Super Bowl." So, uh, <laughs> and next week his sermon will be on forgiveness. You watch the big game.
2: Of course, I couldn't I could not watch it. A lot of people say it was a snooze fest. I heard you say it it
1: was a defensive. I mean, it was a great defensive struggle, but there wasn't a lot of.
2: But I watched it because that's what made it interesting to me. I'm like, no points. That means honestly, to me, to me, it means Two good teams came together and was doing what they were supposed to do. Nobody scored anything until
1: what, the fourth quarter or the third? Yeah, I mean, you know, three points. Of course, Brady's like 700 years old now (laughs) because he's younger than me. Um, But that said, man, New England's defense just shut the Rams
2: down. But then you think about it. The Rams shut the New
1: England. They did up until the Me- very end. You see, so it, and and that's where being there, mm-hmm. you know, I think because of the fact that they've won six Super Bowls, mm-hmm. because they've been there so many times, that you know you don't panic, right? You realize, you know what? We got four quarters to play. We've been here before. We know how to do it. And I think that ended up being the difference of the game. You
2: saw, you saw that in that last quarter when. Um, uh, Rams went for their field goal and he missed it. Yeah, to me that showed a lot of nerve. Meaning they were razzle, you know, frazzled. They were like, "Oh my god, we have to get this," and they weren't calm. Right, and they well, couldn't it, get that also touchdown. Also, the interception and too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, same thing. Right. Same exact thing. You, <laughs> mm-hmm. you you
1: end up making small mental mistakes, of course, because you know I've played so many times in the Super Bowl and I know how <laughs> these things go. <laughs> By the way, speaking of kickers, we have a real strong Mississippi connection to the New New England Patriots. Right. Madison Central, right? Yeah, Madison Central. Stephen August. Gostkowski. I'll get that out in just a minute. Sorry, sorry Stephen, about that. Um, you're paid well enough, though. You're fine. Uh, you can handle it if a radio show host in Jackson, Mississippi screws up your name. And I apologize, although if your mom's listening, I'm sorry. It really is. Anyway, Madison Central, of course, right here in the Jackson area, great school, always a big football school. Um, he's gone on, and he's been, you know, he's been like the highest-paid kicker for many years in the NFL. And he ended up really, honestly, winning the game yesterday, technically, because he had seven of the 13 points. And, of course, they won. 13 3. So anyway, right. that was cool. And it's always neat to see somebody from, you know, Mississippi mm-hmm. do well on a national stage. Yeah. yeah of course, you know, I, a lot of people watch the commercials mm-hmm. uh, instead, you know, because Super Bowl's tough because, you, you know, when do you get up and go to the bathroom?
2: Right. You don't want to Halftime be... show.
1: You get up during the halftime show.
2: No, no, no. Not not yesterday. I'm sorry. I'm oh, a did Maroon, you like that? I'm a Maroon 5 oh, fan. Okay. So. Now,
1: I saw them here in the Coliseum mm-hmm. in Jackson, I think it was about 20 years ago. They mm-hmm. opened up for John Mayer, mm. and they were fantastic. That was their first album when they came out, and that was good yesterday, but he just, I don't know, when he took the shirt off, I not. I know Janet Jackson was thinking, put it back on.
2: Okay. Don't do Adam. You know what? Adam was in his like, giving his best life yesterday. To me, I think he did a great show. I like to see Paul Morton um uh, playing on the keyboards. He's a Grammy-nominated uh, um, artist from Louisiana. He's Adam gonna can shred
1: a good car, guitar, though.
2: <laughs> all that. The whole thing. Yeah, with impressive. big boy and even the... The, the drones. The and, rapper. And,
1: and SpongeBob's weird appearances. I
2: like all their songs, so okay, I really enjoyed it.
1: See, the Beyonce one and the Prince one, those were two of the highlights, you know, uh, all the years of, of Super Bowl. I don't know. Though, you know, it's funny because it seems like every year, it doesn't matter who's out there. I mean, basically... The Beatles could get back together from the grave, the ones that are dead. I mean, everybody, and everybody would go, well, they were low energy. you know. Now you're so. right
2: about Beyonce. i got to give it to her. I'm not like the hugest Beyonce fan. but That was a good her, show. Yeah, it was. It, yeah. She, But she gives 120% every show. So, you know, look at uh, Coachella. Come on now. Well, she that's the thing. She always gives a great well, that, show. You
1: know, because there's some people that are good – they're good on, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, they're good singers, and so far there's some people though that are entertainers. Right, she's an entertainer. Yes, she's she just is. incredible. Well,
2: what was uh, what was your favorite uh, commercial? Uh, Mine. The,
1: the NFL 100. That was number one. Um,
2: at the um the the dinner they yeah, had Yeah, the dinner that was, that was exactly. great
1: for a couple reasons. Um, number one, well Sarah Thomas was in it. Yeah, our own Mississippi Sarah. She was she did a first down I on saw there. that. I was, that was proud funny. of it though because my you know my son's sitting there going in. I'm sitting there naming all the old guys mm-hmm. and my son's like wow dad you do pay attention i'm like yeah i know who joe montana is <laughs> oh, I, I thought that was somebody's granddad was like, Shut Sanders. Up. oh it was fantastic
2: and I enjoyed that one. My favorite, the funniest one was my the Alexa oh, Amazon.
1: And you know what was really was good hilarious. on there? Harrison Ford oh, and his yeah. dog. Oh my gosh. And they pulled that out for a separate commercial. That dog cracked me up.
2: Kept ordering uh, the dog food. He was like, <laughs> I don't like you right now. I did. But the hot tub, did you see the ladies? Oh, when it, it
1: shot them out of the hot tub. Okay oh, that, that was funny. funny.
2: And the uh, what else? That was funny. Oh the yeah, funniest. and then all
1: the power cut from oh, the whole God, world because yeah. of what they're doing at the space station. Yeah, that was funny. That was, that was, was good. Funny. That was good. And there were let me see here. Let me pull up my list of thoughts on that. The Bud Light special delivery, you know, that, it's funny because they kept talking about, we don't have corn syrup in our beer. The National Corn Growers, madder than a hornet. I mean, they were sending out tweets during that whole thing, but the one where they're rolling the barrel around, yeah, yeah. that turned out to be a pretty funny one. But the, the, the mix, of the not the mix-up, the mashup between Bud Light and Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Nobody saw that coming. All of a Bud Knight gets his head smashed know, in and I saw the dragons. That. I was bur- like, <laughs> wow, they really were stretching this year. <laughs> I, I like, mean, really? Yeah. And the Eat Like Andy one. The, yeah, that, that was, was. And I was thinking, is this CGI? Is this digital? This is weird. It was very it, odd And it me. was a real tape. I mean, that <laughs> really had a video of Andy Warhol eating a, a water, Putting the
2: ketchup on the side and dipping a burger in. That was weird.
1: That was very bizarre. Um <laughs> much gosh, but i the number one on the ad meter for u s a today which I, you know a lot of people thought they said the n f l was best, but the Alexa, a lot of people loved that one mm-hmm. um let's see Hyundai had a good one too they
2: did have some great commercials, yeah. which i mean that new high that looked like a i I you know I want to say names, but it looked like a very high a nice high end uh s u v didn't it yeah, it did. I've never seen that truck.
1: Well, and I think you have now. That's why they spent five million dollars. <laughs> Speaking of spending five million dollars, a lot of um, controversy about the Washington Post spending five million dollars on the. And I loved it. I'm a journalist. Guess what? I mm-hmm. like it when you know people are reminded that guess what? We're not the enemy. We're actually. And Tom Hanks was narrating it, so it seemed like Saving Private Ryan or something wonderful like that. So that was cool. But that said, it. Um, you know, a lot of the people at the Washington Post are like, oh, could you spend the $5 million on our salaries? So, But anyway, it was great. And I'm very proud of Saints fans out there for, like I said, once again, they could turn a funeral into a party. They do that every single year. Guess what? They did it yesterday. It was great. Uh, down there, uh, on down and so forth. So I'm trying to think. Uh, Let's see. The top five, according to Adweek, was Bud Light, Special Delivery, Uh, Amazon, Not Everything Makes a Cut, Handmaiden's Tale, a commercial for the course of the show that's on Hulu, Eat Like Andy and Burger King, Joust. And they didn't have the the NFL one on there, but that to me was my favorite one. So that. Also, too, and I was going to throw this out. just a Netflix suggestion if you're if you're like me who likes I like to binge stuff and generally I listen to documentaries a lot when I'm sitting there uh, drawing uh, because I love to you know, documentaries you don't really have to pay attention to you can just kind of listen but they have got a really 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 good one on there it's called the Bill Murray stories life lessons learned from a mythical man now. You know, I, of course, grew up – I remember staying up late at night to watch the original Saturday Night Live. And Bill Murray came in in the middle of the second season when Chevy Chase left and, of course, went on to be in such classic movies as Stripes and and Groundhog Day and Ghostbusters and all these movies that, of course, we remember. Bill Murray, though, in later life has been in a lot of really good movies too, but he plays a much different role. Um, always kind of distant, always kind of sarcastic, a little bit – Kind of present and in the moment. Well, this this documentary talks about, and there's a lot of stories out there. You probably, if you Google Bill Murray stories, you're going to get some of them, where he'll just show up, like at a party down in, in Austin, Texas. One day they're in a party, they turned around, and there is Bill Murray in the kitchen washing dishes didn't announce himself coming in. He just shows up and he does that on a street in the middle of New York, a guy sitting there about to cross the street. A man walks up to him and puts his hands around his eyes and said, nobody's going to believe you about this. And he turns around and it's Bill Murray in Charleston, South Carolina. There's a couple that's getting their engagement photos. Suddenly a man walks up, the groom gets this really weird looks on his face and the photographer's like, Hey, stop it. And so, they're like, what's going on? And the photographer turns around and there's Bill Murray and he gets in the, the, the bottom line is Bill Murray, of course, trained under Second City in Chicago, which is a great improv thing. And Bill Murray still likes to do improv and he still likes to do this deal where he shows up in people's lives, but he doesn't show up to be the star. He shows up to just kind of fade in and be part of the group. He'll dance or he'll show up at a bachelor party and give a little bit of advice. And guess what? Those people will remember that moment for the rest of their life. But Bill Murray figured out – and there's a book called The Tao of Bill Murray also uh, that goes kind of along with this movie. The bottom line of this documentary is – and really, honestly, I have not spoiled it for you. Watch it. It is a really, really good documentary because you're going to have a lot different opinion of Bill Murray by the end of it in a good way. Um, But Bill Murray is very present. He's in the moment all the time, and he realizes. And it's one of those things. If you ever watch Groundhog again, Groundhog Day again, which classic movie from twenty five years ago, I rewatched it. It's basically that philosophy where you know, of course, you know Phil, the the weatherman, is a big jerk, and he doesn't learn his lesson until he figures out to be in the moment and to do things for people, not to make his life better, but to make their life better. And once he figures that out. Not to do spoiler alert for a 25-year-old movie, but that's when he gets to break out of that Groundhog Day. And so, you know, that's what really made this so special to me because it made me realize, you know what, I've been kind of sleepwalking through my life. And I think about, oh I, you know, not to give you too much about my marriage, we're on the radio and this isn't obviously uh, Southern, you know, I'm not. I'm not Dr. Buttress. I can't give you that, that part of it. But what I can tell you is, you know, if you're really present and you're trying to do nice things for people for good, re- for the right reasons, your life's going to be a lot better. And that's what I learned from the Bill Murray documentary. And guess what? We're going to learn a lot from our guests today. I'm very excited. Kara Meredith is going to be on the phone with us. She's going to be joining us. Um, Daughter-in-law, of course, the legendary James Meredith, but also wife James Meredith, just a different James Meredith. But anyway, she's written a fantastic book, The Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. Can't wait to talk to her about it. Thank you for being here. Hang on. We're going to be right back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
0: Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting to find out how. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. Welcome back. This is Now You're
1: Talking on MPB Think Radio with the coolest bumper music in all of radio land. Thanks for being part of the show. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Uh, Kind of a nice Monday out there, a little bit gray, but I think it's supposed to be like 114 today or something like that. Anyway, last week it was 12, this week's 114. Hey, welcome to Mississippi. It's called winter here. Anyway, um... Just a little side note, I get to tape a new episode of Conversations that'll be on in a few months. I hope you're watching that show, by the way. It is on MPB television. It is fantastic. It's an interview show, kind of like what I do here, except I'm sitting across from the person, um, which I do here a lot too, but you get to actually see us. Uh, But I'm interviewing Jerry Mitchell, who was on the radio show a couple weeks ago. Jerry's a longtime friend of mine, a co-worker, and he's kind of going off his new direction. I'm going off of mine. We're going to talk about that. So anyway, that's just Keep that on your radar. And we're going to have Angie Thomas coming up soon on this show next week. Yeah, you're thinking, that name sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, that Angie Thomas, the one who's basically one of the superstars of the publishing world right now. I think Hate You Give is like 101 weeks being number one. She got the new book out, too. We'll talk about that with her. So anyway, looking forward to that. So without further ado, really excited about our next guest, Uh, of course, Kara Meredith is on the line right now. Her new book is The Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. Kara, it's nice to meet you and talk to you.
3: Thank you. It's so great to be here with you. And it's also great to hear Angie Thomas's name dropped. I, I just think the world of her writing.
1: Yeah, her writing's fantastic. And have you ever had a chance to meet her by chance?
3: Not yet. Uh, I've, I've tried to befriend her. I've tried to make her hang out with me. It hasn't quite worked out yet, but I have not lost hope.
1: Well, I, I will admit, you know, you know, she and I don't go do shots on a weekend or anything like that. But that said, she, I have interviewed her a couple of times and I keep up with her on social media and she's so popular now. But, um, yep. you know, she's kind of kind of an interesting touchstone to history, kind of like you do, in the fact that her mom lived next door to, the, um, to Medgar Evers. Uh, and the night that was there, the night, of course, there was the shooting and so yeah. forth. And she grew up in that neighborhood. And so, you know, her mom, in her own right, is, is a great story. And it's almost kind of like your father-in-law. It's kind of fun to just talk to them about things and what's going on. But, Ben, I'm really just glad to get to meet you. And I'm really excited about your new book. I think it's a book whose time has come.
3: Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, we're excited as well. It officially releases tomorrow uh, at bookstores everywhere, online and in print. So, um, we are over the moon, excited and, um, thrilled. It does feel like it is an appropriate time to be having these conversations, um, even more.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, we live in a time, it seems like where everybody is just kind of shouting past each other, whether it's on social media Uh-oh. or, um, just on television or anything else. So, um, thank you for helping reignite a real conversation. Thank you. Okay. are welcome. Are you in, you're in California now? Or are you, where are you? I we mean, are. Yeah.
3: Yes, we uh, my husband whose name is also James named after his father obviously. Uh mm-hmm. he and I have just basically traveled the West Coast corridor. So, we've mostly been in the greater San Francisco Bay Area. We did have a 20 month stint in Seattle, Washington, uh but just moved back to the Bay Area 6 months ago. So, uh I am looking out the window at blue skies, uh, a couple of clouds. It's not as nice as um Los Angeles, but it is gorgeous weather here in the San Francisco Bay Area.
1: I tell you, I grew I, before I moved to Mississippi, and I'm from the South. But I mean, before I moved to Mississippi, okay. I uh, moved here from San Diego. So, you know, oh. yeah, it's kind of like a different planet out there.
3: <laughs> it, is. it is. There are, and there probably are a couple of extraterrestrial beings floating around, floating around somewhere. They,
1: well, they so. definitely are. They definitely are. Yes. But it makes it yeah. kind of interesting, and it's. I mean, you know, and I think, well, anyway, we'll talk about this a little bit more into the conversation. But I want to get talk a little bit more about you because I think your your growing up and my growing up are very similar. Um, the kind of families we grew up in and kind of the bubble we grew up in. And so, why don't you talk a little bit about look your your childhood?
3: Absolutely, um, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so a little bit different um, than uh, the deep south, but. But still, um, there there are a lot of similarities nonetheless. Um, I describe the place that I grew up uh, almost as growing up in a colorblind um, bubble, uh, growing up with a colorblind rhetoric, um, both at um, in schools, and this is a result uh, really of a uh, reaction to the civil rights movement. Uh, a lot of schools especially adopted a colorblind narrative. So I remember sitting in a school assembly. I was probably in the fourth grade, and our principal standing up front and leading all six hundred students in a chant about being colorblind. And I did live in a mostly white area um, with kids who mostly looked like me. But as I reflect back on that moment now, I think, what would it have been like to be a student of color, to be ten years old and um, and to be seen? Um, to, to not be seen, excuse me, by um, the color of my skin, to not be honored and celebrated in that way. Uh, so for me, that that was part of that was just part of the belief system at school, um, but then also at home and in the church, race was not something we talked about, and it was mostly not something we talked about because we were white. Um, and I love my parents dearly. I we still we have a relationship. Um, to this day, we don't always agree and see eye to eye on everything, but um, this was part of the environment that I was raised in. And so really, it wasn't until probably my 20s and certainly my 30s that I began to go, oh, wait a minute. Um, maybe we are supposed to see color. Maybe this is supposed to be a part of our story. Um, and not just a story for those who identify um, as, as people of color, but for every single one of us.
1: We're talking with Kara Meredith, a new book coming out tomorrow. Is the Color of Life: A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. Kara, I, I just—it's fascinating. Of course, you, you are a fantastic writer. I love—I read several of your blogs over the weekend and talk. You know, did you kind of start out being a, a teacher, didn't you? That was kind of your goal.
3: Absolutely, yeah. I went to school also in the Pacific Northwest, and um, I had always loved writing, but I thought, well, I'm not going to be a writer. Um, I, so not to use the old adage that those who, what is it that those who can't teach because I don't (laughs) at all believe that that's true, but I became a high school, I trained to be a high school English teacher and, um, high school English for four years after college, um, both at every single level in the high school, um, in high school. And, um, and then I left teaching, uh, and worked for an outreach ministry or outreach nonprofit organization for eight years. Mm-hmm. So I was still working with students quite a bit. Um, I started speaking quite a bit more in that arena and wasn't writing as much. But in the midst of all of that for, you know, for a decade, for over a decade, writing really still gave me life. And, um, so I left writing, I, or excuse me, I left the traditional workforce for six years ago to care for uh, our oldest son, and to also begin to pursue writing and speaking. And so in a sense, even though I kind of knew the, the rules and regulations, it wasn't until I actually got my butt in the chair, as Anne Lamott would say or would tell writers to do, that I, um, that I think I began to find my voice, that I actually began to learn how to write.
1: Well, it, it, you've, you've done an excellent job about that, and you're right. It, it basically takes sitting down and writing before you can become a writer. But, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you grew up in this bubble, and you've got to have something to write about, of course. You grew up in the bubble. At what point did the bubble burst? Was it college? Was it after college? When did you mm-hmm. start realizing, you know what, maybe there's people out there that are a little different than me, and maybe they've got stories to tell, too? Absolutely. I think some
3: of my earliest Memories, um, like I said, probably didn't start happening um, intentionally. Happening, the noticing didn't intentionally start happening until my 20s. Um, I taught in the San Francisco Bay Area, and um, the the Bay Area is a very diverse place. So one of my first yes. experiences um, when I was uh, when I, I was teaching high school English one year, and, and the school was the school not only saw but celebrated the diversity within its student body. Um, there were 46 different languages spoken at that school, and so wow. every single year there was a um, there was a, a diversity week that would happen, and and there were just there were all these different events that took place, and that was probably one of the first times that I remember going, huh, maybe Black History Month and the literature that we read that I had my students read um, in the month of February every year, maybe that's not just uh, to be read in February. So that was, that was probably an initial noticing. And honestly, that was in my mid-20s, which was 15 years ago. Um, so I, I think that was when the noticing started. A lot of noticing started as well um, when I was in the nonprofit sector. I had a boss once say to me, he said, don't make any changes, just listen for a couple of years. And even though I hadn't necessarily um, figured it out, because I don't think I've figured anything all the way out. I think that um, this figuring out, so to speak, is a journey that all of us are on for the rest of our lives or for the entirety of our lives. But uh, in my late 20s, I think that's when quite a bit of uh, listening and noticing started. And then honestly, when I met the man who would become my husband, um, that, was, that was kind of the final uh, icing on the cake. Um, I write in the book about um, sitting down on our third date and we were in his living room, and he uh, he pulled out – Marcus Miller, the base, deep bass of uh, – Marcus Miller was playing in the background, and we were sharing a bottle of wine. And he pulled out this stack of photography books and put them on the coffee table in front of me and opened them up. He had a couple of earmarked pages and opened them up, and I, he pointed to one page, and it was a page of Martin Luther King Jr., and a couple other men walking beside him and, and he pointed to the page and he said, That's my dad. Wow. And I looked at him and I said, Your dad is Martin Luther King <laughs> you know, And I <laughs> I go, Wait a minute. This guy whom I met online, I met on eHarmony. Uh, his father is Dr. King and he goes, No, 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 that's my dad and he points to the man, um, to a man in a in a in an army hat standing right next to him and, and that was James Meredith and That was the Meredith March against fear when Dr. King and James Meredith and Stokely Carmichael, when they all came together after my father-in-law had been shot on the second day and what was intended to be a single man's March ended up being, um, the last greatest, uh, movement, many historians say of the civil rights movement. So, or the last greatest act of the civil rights movement. That's when the black power movement was, uh, was birthed. Um, that's it was a huge push for black voter rights in the state of Mississippi. Um, and I remember in that moment in my James's living room, I remember looking at that picture and feeling simultaneously feeling awe, feeling shame, feeling ignorance because I had no clue who his father in law was. Wow. And the thing is, is that I probably I I, I beyond a shadow of a doubt had learned about him. I learned about him, I'm sure, as a U.S. history student, um, you know, in AP U.S. history in the 11th grade. I'm sure I learned about him in my education classes in college. But it was a learning that went in one ear and out the other because I didn't need to know and I didn't need to remember. And so I hadn't remembered. Um, So I think about that. and, And for me, that was a very poignant moment of going, wait a minute. I... I need to start, it's not only about noticing, but it's about learning and it's about embracing, um, the stories that are all of ours, but that, that I've been privileged not to have to know and remember and embrace, but this is my story and, and this is mine to know and to learn and remember.
1: We're going to continue with Kara Meredith's story as well. And by the way, that's incredibly powerful. I can't wait to hear more. Uh, we're going to delve into our new memoir, The Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. If you have any question or comment for our guest, please give us a call. The number is 877-MPB-RING. That's eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 Hey, stay tuned. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
0: MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting for more information. You're listening to Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey on MPB Think Radio.
1: Welcome back. This is now you're talking on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Marshall Ramsey. Look, if you're just joining us. We've been talking with author Karen Meredith about her new memoir, The Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice. Uh, we basically will just catch you up if you can you miss the first segment. She met a really cool, awesome guy on the harmony, you know, third date, bottle of wine, whips out a book, opens up. Oh, yeah. By the way, my dad is a historical icon. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, that's pretty cool. But like you said, you're like, wait a minute, I feel bad because I didn't really know that. But you knew pretty quickly, didn't you? Now, before you get telling your story a little bit, I want to ask you a real quick question about your husband. Um, since yeah. I have met your father-in-law and have interviewed him, and I have to admit, that was probably one of the more interesting and fascinating interviews I've ever done in my life. It was kind of like riding a bull because, you know, you never know where he's going to go. Um, does your husband have the same still will that his dad has? Or as his mother has, because both of them are incredibly bright and wonderful people. But I'm just kind of curious, because it's like, man, your father-in-law is a pretty tough cookie sometimes.
3: Absolutely. Uh, in, in some ways, my husband is exactly like his father. Mm-hmm. Um, in some ways, he is the exact opposite of him. Oh, wow. Um, and so there there are certainly some um, areas in his life, like the Super Bowl yesterday, uh, I took the boys to a birthday party, a six-year-old birthday party, and there were, every, every, uh, steel, um, part of him was not about to accompany us, um, because of his stubbornness. And I say that in jest, but, yes. um, uh, but, you know, there, there are a lot of similarities. Um, I never met James's birth mother. Uh, his, uh, James Sr., his wife Judy, mm-hmm. um, is, is technically James, my James's stepmother. So right. So I never met, um, his birth mother, but, um, his birth, he looks just like his birth mother, and I've been told that there are a whole lot of similarities between his birth mother and who he is. Um so it is one of those that when you get all the Merediths in one room, though, like a whole lot of other families, you can tell that they're they are related yes uh, the similarities uh are are uncanny and sometimes unspeakable um in the sense that you just go, Oh, I didn't even realize um that that was in their blood that that was a part of their bones um until they all were together in one room
1: uh and he's a twin too, right?
3: He is yes. His twin did pass away a number of years ago, yeah. um, but uh, yes, um, James and his uh, twin Joseph um, were a big part of the family story. Obviously, my husband still is a big part of the family story, um, and then there are a couple other siblings um, that are in both in Jackson and up in uh, Huntsville.
1: Yeah, because I, I just remember seeing – how a picture in one of my – my history books that basically they're, he's in, he's a, he's a kid with his brother, uh, Joseph in in Mm -hmm. the picture, cute kid, by the way, and good looking guy. I'm just telling you this from of course a radio host guy perspective, but yeah, (laughs) uh, good guy. So good choice on your part uh, to say the least, but like you said, you know, you, you you grew up and your parents kind of had the attitude that they didn't engage in problems race because it wasn't their battle to fight. Well, suddenly how did they react when you said, Oh yeah, by the way, I'm dating this really good looking guy who happens to not be a white guy.
3: They were 100% supportive. Good. Um, both sides of our family uh, were very supportive. My parents, by that point, I was the oldest, or I am the oldest, excuse me, of um, three kids, and I was the only one who wasn't married. Um, and so I think by then they were also, they were kind of like, all yeah. right. They were glad you're getting so, married. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, this is great. You're single and ready to mingle, but but come on, give me some grandbabies. Um, so they were they were very excited. They remembered who um, my father in law, my, my would be father in law was. They you know they were children or teenagers of the sixties, and so um, that was there was a moment of, of awe for them, I think. Um, and as far as it went with James's family, because both of us both of us sat there going, "Wow, we would I would be the first white woman to marry into the Meredith family. He would be the first black man to marry into my family." Um, so there, there was a question I think on both of our parts. Um, the the statement from the Meredith family was, of course, you are welcome here. You are welcomed into our family. Um, the but is that the the but is that you need but you need to understand the impact that James's father had on history, right. that his father had on the world, and if you can understand that and understand the entirety of the picture, then you're in. Um, so that was, that was a caveat that I, I wasn't expecting to hear, but that was part of the deal.
1: Yeah, but to say, I mean, did they give you homework assignments or how did they deal with that? I mean, did, uh, did, You're like, okay, you, know, you probably kind of sat there a little bit stunned thinking, okay, what I need to do? But, I mean, basically at that point, I guess you just started reading.
3: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we were living somewhat close or I was living somewhat close to the San Francisco Public Library, I remember taking the BART to the Bay Area Rapid Transit System, it's like a subway, downtown to uh, downtown San Francisco and just holing up in the library and reading as much as I could about him. Obviously, my James owns several books that his father has written. I think James Sr. has written um, probably 29 books. I just saw that the other day. So, I mean, he has, we we have an incredible collection at home as well. Yeah. Um. But it was one of those that yes I needed to start entering into this piece of history but the onus was on me right um, and and entering into his story also meant entering into the stories of a lot of other um, people who are uh, people people of color um, especially that I hadn't that I hadn't needed to remember that I hadn't um, taken the time to learn about so it meant learning quite a bit more about women like um, like emmett till 's mother, it um, mm-hmm. meant learning about Martin Luther King Jr. and reading his sermons and getting to know who he was um, not only as an as a historical figure but also as as a preacher who preached through that lens then to reach the people
1: Well, it sounds like you know and it 's one of the things that I like about your book. Uh, Michelle, my producer, and I were talking about this a little bit before the show. It's like, you know, we work with people every single day, and we see people, and, you know, you think, okay, they're just like me. But, you know, you never really get to know them and never get to understand them. And it sounds like suddenly in a very – just a very short amount of time that suddenly you really picked up on some serious skills of empathy. Well,
3: thank you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I mean I, I don't know if that's something that I can say of myself, but I hope it's true of myself, and I hope that it's true of all of us. Right. That, um, that empathy grabs hold of our hearts and changes us.
1: Right. Well, then suddenly, of course, you all have. By the way, really good-looking children. I'm going to say uh, yeah. compliment once again, and I have good-looking <laughs> children too, just to let you know that. Um, but do what I, mean, I can. Do what I can. You do it can. But like I said <laughs> once again, you're suddenly realizing, okay, this is a world that my children are growing up in. What can I do to help make it better? Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that has been that's been a, a huge learning experience for me. Um, it's true. You could you know, maybe you can cite some of the studies that are out there for your readers who are going to read this or listeners, excuse me, online. But mm-hmm. um, studies show that children as young as six months old um, can see or can differentiate race
2: right. and therefore
3: make um, have make racial preferences or have racial preferences for those of their own um their own skin color. So we, it, there, there very much has been, a, it's been a learning journey for us with children, and I shouldn't maybe say for us as much as I should say for myself, but we're very intentional with the books that we read to our boys, with the shows that they watch, but also then with having conversations. Um, we're intentional with with making sure that um, that that we have, that we're entering into friendships with people who look like all of us. Um, I remember, I, I think our older son was two years old, and Judy, uh, my mother-in-law, was out visiting. And we had on the, on the television screen, um, it was kind of, I don't know, it was one of those radio stations that plays. And so you just see a static picture of different characters. And within the course of 10 or 15 minutes, Canon, our older son, um, a picture of Bruno Mars flashed up. And, and a Bruno Mars song was playing in the background, and he pointed to it. And he said, Dada. And we looked at him and we're like, Dada, Bruno Mars is not Dada. And then a couple minutes later, um, a picture of Alicia Alicia Keys pops up. And he says, Nana, because Nana, or Judy, my mother-in-law, is a black woman who has lighter skin. Then a couple of minutes later, a picture of Kelly Clarkson pops up. And he says, Mama. And within that 15-minute time period, I kid you not, he made an association with each one of those singers, to the three of us and we sit there we sit here and we go wow what does this mean now for our boys what does it mean to continue to enter into the conversation right to continue to not only notice but to value and celebrate diversity and and that means that we have to live with intentionality
1: well i mean also too i mean you want them to grow up with feeling good and very proud about Mm -hmm. who they are and where they came from too right
3: absolutely yes absolutely
1: Yeah, because I I would think that you know sometimes some of the messages they might get on the media might be just the opposite of that. So I mean, as your job as a parent, you know, you're suddenly realizing you know I've really got my work cut out for me here. Mm -hmm. Wow, absolutely. Well, I don't. I don't want to. Isn't that true for all of us? Well, I mean, about to say it is for me too. You know, it's. I I was thinking about a a moment we had. um, We were at our Mm -hmm. church and we're walking down the hall, and your father-in-law was sitting there in a chair, (laughs) Um, (laughs) and 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 I'm, I'm. got my boys i said that's james meredith and they're like who and i said oh we got some talking to do so i mean mm-hmm. i wanted them to understand that that man sitting there in that chair yeah. was not only was was an elderly person who maybe they should respect or but was a okay. person who had totally changed history and changed their history and you know now that i have a son okay. that goes to school where he was you know and you're, these little things like that yeah. so yeah as parents we have that job look i don't want to Spoil anything in the book um, because I have gotten to flip through it and I'm excited to read the whole thing through and through. But I want you to share a little bit what's in it because I think there's some really nice touching points uh, that are in the book that I think people need to hear about.
3: Sure. Uh, Well, there's, you know, it's a, my publisher, um, they, they said, we don't really know how to market this because there are so many different facets to the book. It's a spiritual memoir, but it also has a lot of history. Um, It also has a lot of stories um, about everything from interracial marriage. So there's a chapter, 1967, Then and Now. And in that, I talk about marrying James, and we enter into our wedding. Um, I talk about walking down the aisle singing to him. Wow. And tears streaming down his face.
0: Um, But
3: then it also, uh, well, of course, Stream down his face. He was getting to marry me. Okay, Marshall. it wasn't.
1: It wasn't that he was crying <laughs> that he was getting married because I, I know some guys that <laughs> yeah. go through that.
3: <laughs> and that. Uh, okay. Uh, but but in that in that same chapter, we then also jump into the uh, Loving v. Virginia, which was um, a monumental case in the United States that allowed for interracial marriage, and that only passed in 1967. So there, it, that's an example of a chapter which is kind of smack dab, but looking quite a bit at interracial marriage, looking quite a bit at uh, what it means to raise um, mixed-race kids. From a spiritual or a Christian point of view, what does it mean to enter into lament, both personally and corporately? Um, what does it mean to recognize um, within our own selves uh, the, the personal racism that might exist, but also then... What does it mean to recognize racism at systemic levels and to make a change to fight for it? So, the book is largely story-based. It is a memoir. Um, we wanted to we wanted over and over again to make sure that the reader felt like this was a story that um, he or she could could gulp down. Um, because I am a, a sojourner. I am not an expert, um, but within that. You're going to find a whole lot um, about my father-in-law. There was a, a trip. I took a trip to Mississippi um, almost two years ago, and it was just me. And it was a trip intentionally to hang out with my father-in-law and to see the sights around your town um, and and to really hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So there's quite a bit about James Meredith then and now, as well as several, uh, several other historical figures, but then just a lot of ordinary, everyday stories of our life.
1: Oh that sounds really great. And and you know I think it's okay that you're just a sojourner. I think that's I think that's the best way to learn, don't you? I mean cuz sometimes you read it from a textbook and it's like, yeah, well, I don't know, but if you read from somebody that you know, seems like you. Guess what? It's, I think we pay a lot better attention. Well, I tell you what, Kara, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break and we're going to get back because I, I tell you what, this conversation is really, really fascinating. Uh, the book, of course, is The Color of Life. Talking with Kara Meredith, we're going to continue. But if you want to give us a call, you can. The number is 877-MPB-RING. That's eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Say, maybe you have a question that I haven't asked. I'd love to, we'd love to hear from you. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio.
2: can't get to a radio well don't worry mpb think and music radio are available online and on our mpb public media app it's simple just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started
0: this is mpb think radio you're listening to now you're talking with marshall ramsey on mpb think radio All right,
1: welcome back. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. Your host, Marshall Ramsey. Ah, great Monday. Thanks for being part of it. Day after the Super Bowl. Hope you're feeling pretty good about things. If you're a Saints fan, you probably didn't watch it anyway. Look, we got a great guest on. We've had the pleasure of speaking with Kara Meredith, the author of Color of Life, A Journey Toward Love and Racial Justice, and daughter-in-law of the Civil Rights Activist and legend, of course, James Meredith. Uh, Kara, I, I want to jump back to the first segment. I don't ever do this in an interview, but I've kept thinking who in their right mind plans a birthday party during the Super Bowl?
3: <laughs> I will have to let my friend Rebecca know that. Um, again, we are not in the deep south. I feel like there is a, a different um, love or appreciation of football. Uh, so, yes, indeed, she planned her six year old birthday party. And I was actually the one who pointed out to her. Uh, Rebecca, a 3.30 p.m. start on Sunday, February 3rd, also means that um, we're coinciding with the Super Bowl. And she said, oh, I didn't even know that. So, um, Indy, there, there were probably 10 little boys who rallied yesterday. Um, <laughs> they don't actually have a television that a Super Bowl was playing um, on a 12-inch laptop screen. And, again, my husband stayed home to honor the game um, and to to hope that uh,
1: the Rams won, which they did not. So. Oh, okay. We'll so okay. join
3: him a little later.
1: All right. All right. Well, we got a couple of callers. We have Fred who would like to ask a question. Fred, welcome to the show. What was your question for Kara?
4: Good morning. Good morning. I look forward to reading the book. Um, thanks for hosting uh, the gentle lady. I wanted to uh, ask her to reflect for a moment on uh, uh, the uh, two things, really. Uh, number one, um, people from the West Coast often remark, um, on how, uh, diverse places like San Francisco are. And I've even heard, uh, the word diversity applied to the, um, Pacific Northwest, um, Seattle in particular, um, which, um, doesn't appear to me nearly as diverse as Jackson, Mississippi. And I would love to hear her thoughts on that. And, um, um. And I'd love to hear comments on my thoughts that uh, if we're looking for diversity in the United States and we want to celebrate diversity and we want to invite people to live in an environment of diversity, would she not agree with me that of Mississippi and indeed the entire state of Mississippi is the number one destination of such people who want to experience the diversity and goodness of the United States? Mississippi is, in my opinion... The future of the United States. Second of all, would
1: she reflect... All right. The thank you, Fred. Let, let's start. just keep it to one because we're, we're, we're bumping up against the clock. Thank you so much. Karen, what, what are your thoughts on Fred?
3: Absolutely. You know, I think I cut out for part of um, Fred's question, but um, I would agree, uh, and my father-in-law would certainly agree, that what happens in Mississippi sets the um, stage and the tone okay. for a lot of the conversations um and so i'm sorry that i didn't hear all of the question but um i i i we love getting to visit there uh we love seeing the diversity present and um i can only continue to hope and pray that um these conversations continue to happen and um that bridges of justice and reconciliation um continue to happen um between everyone
1: all right. Thank you. Thank you. that Robert, by the way, Robert's on the line, but we can't get to him because we're like I said, we've only got a couple more minutes left. Uh Kara, I just wanted to ask you, um, what are your I mean, are you excited? Gosh, your baby's coming out tomorrow. I mean that you've been working on this for a while. Are you uh, you've got to be at the point where you're not sleeping.
3: Absolutely. Um I did sleep last night. There's something called melatonin, which I believe in. Um, it does and, help, yes. Uh, it it does help. Well kids you know, this help is too. A lot of- They they do running around with them. Yes. Um, So we we are so excited. Um, A lot of authors will say that uh, that releasing a book is like birthing another child. So this is kind of like our third child um, coming out tomorrow. But at the same time, it's just another day Um, for my children. They they're going, well, who's going to take us to school? Mama. Uh-huh. Um, you know, who's going to make us dinner? Mama. So in a sense, it's absolutely normal, but it's also a huge milestone and to be celebrated. And there's not a whole lot I can do um, besides besides just sit back and let the book write its course.
1: You going to do some uh, book signings and so forth?
3: Absolutely. I did want to mention to your listeners, uh, we're going to be doing an event on Saturday, April 13th, 2 p.m. at Lemuria Books in Jackson. Cool. Uh, it's going to be with my father-in-law and also Jamar Tisby, who's from the Delta. He just released um, a book a week and a half ago called The Color of Compromise, which is an incredible companion. It's about um, it's about the role of essentially racism in the church. Uh, so I encourage your listeners to get um, to join us on saturday april 13th we would love to see you i would love to meet you in person and marshall i hope to see you in person that day
1: i'd, I'd love to I, i'm definitely going to write yeah. that down and you're going to love lemuria yeah. too they're a great bookstore they'll, they'll take great cool. care of you on that now, you've gotten some really positive Wonderful. pre-reviews so far i've noticed um how does that make you feel and people are like hey this is really a good book
3: it makes me feel great i honestly have not read any reviews um and i'm intentionally not reading any so
1: no, that's a good probably a good fun. idea
3: Yes, it's it's one of those that um, it's you know, I think it's it can be a tricky thing sometimes to write about issues of justice, race and privilege. And I believe that we do have to be talking about them. But there's a whole lot of people who don't want to be talking about them. And so the haters and the trolls are present. And in that way, um, I have not I have not read the reviews. So I'm encouraged that people are encouraged. I Uh, guess I could say that.
1: That's good. Carol, just one last thing. We got about, I guess, about 30 seconds. Just real quickly, what's a great way for somebody to start a conversation when they really don't know how to start a conversation?
3: They can start by listening. My mantra is um, to listen and learn and listen some more. So whatever that means, however that looks for you, you sit down, you shut your trap, and you start listening to those you haven't been listening to before.
1: Well, that sounds like that would work well with marriage, too.
3: So I here I'm, I'm trying. We don't have that one all the way nailed down, but maybe that's the whole point.
1: So. Well, good. Are you gonna you're gonna bring James along too on the trip? You're gonna let him haul figuring, around your books?
3: Yeah, uh, we we are figuring that out. It's a little it's a tricky season. I'll for sure have at least one of my sons with me. Oh, cool! Um, and we hope to all four be there.
1: Very good. Well, thank you for taking the time out to talk to us today. I can't wait. The book is, of course, The Color of Life, and it's coming out tomorrow. And you can get it at Amazon, all the different places, correct? Yes. And Lemuria books. Very good. Kara, thank you so much. All right. Well, thank that's you. another book, another show, another book, another show in the can. Thank you for joining us today. Of course, coming up next is Southern Remedy. Of course, now you're talking as a production of the incredible, amazing Michelle McAdoo. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking to author Angie Thomas. This is Now You're Talking on MPB Think Radio. We'll see you all next Monday.